Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we have in-depth discussions about, you guessed it, real estate investing, ongoing real estate news and market updates, how to structure deals, apply different strategies, and overall how to grow your portfolio. We've been getting a lot of new listeners recently, so just wanted to say hey to all the new listeners and thank you to all the returning listeners. Welcome back and let you guys know what the show is all about. My name is Nick Hill. I'm joined today and every Tuesday and Friday by my dear friend and co-host, Daniel Foch. Dan, how you doing? And what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to be talking about inflation, where it is, where we need it to be, and the Bank of Canada's target. We're going to be talking about the most recent Bank of Canada rate hike and what that means for the real estate market and their monetary policy report that they release on a semi-annual basis, as well as the Bank of Canada versus the government of Canada and sort of how that weighs in on the conversation of fixed versus variable rates. So Bank of Canada overnight rate versus the government of Canada five-year bond yield and the impact that those have on fixed versus variable. And we're going to revisit the fixed versus variable conversation that everybody likes to have whenever something tumultuous happens in the economy, whenever there's a major change. For sure. The BOC versus the GOC, the ultimate showdown. But before we get into the episode, let's get a little refresher here on a word that is going to come up quite a few times, and that is inflation or inflation, which is the act of inflating something or the condition of being inflated, such as a balloon. But in economics, it means a general increase in price and a fall in the purchasing value of money. Now, let's take a look at the etymology with our resident Latin expert, Dan. <laughs> it comes from the, the Latin inflatio or expansion or blowing up from inflatus, meaning the action of inflating with air or gas. And it's from circa 1600, monetary sense of enlargement of prices, <laughs> originally by the increase in the amount of money in circulation, was first recorded in 1838 in American English. Very cool. Just a wealth of Latin knowledge you are. Thanks for that, Dan. Now, we can't move on without touching on inflation's annoying little brother, core inflation. Core inflation is the change in the cost of goods and services, but does not include those from food or energy. So the food and energy sectors are left out and excludes these items because their prices are much more volatile, meaning they change quite a bit more and quite more often. Core inflation is considered an indicator of underlying long-term inflation. So the Bank of Canada is now forecasting inflation return back to that target of 2 to 3% by 2024. If you want to examine the impeccable track record of the Bank of Canada's inflation forecasting, it's been charted exceptionally well by a Twitter user that Dan and I are fans of, at X-E-L-A-N underscore GTA. We both follow on Substack. We'll post some of his notes in the, in the show notes here. Yeah, it's funny that chart, right? There's one for the Federal Reserve as well, but it basically just shows like the stacking of how their inflation targets like just keep moving up as the inflation rate moves up. And then it kind of just shows them being equally optimistic about it getting down in the same time period. But it's just really funny because 
Nick was being sarcastic when he said that they have an impeccable <laughs> track record of forecasting inflation. Sorry, did I not make that clear by the tone <laughs> of my voice? <laughs> the reality here is the Bank of Canada is left with two choices. And this comes from Ben Tal, who is one of the most qualified economists, I would say, in the country and one of the most respected and listened to economists in the country. And Ben Tal says, Canada has two choices, inflation or recession. And we just saw him speak on CIBC's Where in the World Are We segment, their 2023 economic outlook. And he still stipulates that the Bank of Canada will always choose recession over inflation. And the question is, why? Well, sustained and excessive inflation can lead to the downfall of a society. I know that sounds extreme, but look up the Weimar Republic or what's happening in present-day Turkey or Venezuela. Since the birth of the modern financial systems, recessions have a 100% success rate of bringing down inflation to the target range. The average recession took 16 months to bring inflation down from its peak to 2%, which is the target range. Yeah. And I just want to highlight a couple excerpts from Ben Tal in the CIBC Economic Outlook. Some really good stuff. Here are just a few notes I made, just some highlights. So prices on commodities will not come down this year. However, supply is increasing on some items from cars to construction materials, which I'm sure for us real estate investors is welcome, but demand is also coming down due to sentiment and finances. So maybe it's not that there's just more construction material because there's less people renovating. The Bank of Canada will do whatever it can to bring inflation down to that 2%. And this is a great quote here, wait until inflation is dead. Rates will not be cut for a full year. Then they will likely slowly be cut to 3%, still double what we saw at the lowest. And this is all based off of that sense of urgency that there was to get into the market. And this is again, Ben Tal, I love, I love when he speaks like this. People were front-loading activity. They were borrowing from the future. Well, now we have arrived in that future that we've been borrowing from. So the market is now slowing and adjusting to that borrowed future and forcing it to go back to a more normal balanced market. And people aren't selling, they're waiting, but this will change. And we'll see more listings this year as interest rates have that effect. The market's not looking weak from a long-term point of view. In 2022, Canada accepted almost a million new people, and we'll be accepting a lot more. Housing supply is still a major issue because we're only we aren't building enough and about a third of the new builds in Toronto are either canceled or postponed over the next coming years due to labor shortages and all that other good stuff. Dan, before we jump in, any thoughts on our buddy Ben's highlights here or predictions or anything? He was a little bullish as you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, you know, like he does work for an institution that is credit exposed to the real estate market heavily, so you know, I'd be concerned probably if he wasn't a little bit more bullish than people who may, you know, like ourselves who maybe actually want to see prices come down so we can buy some <laughs> some good deals. But that being said, I mean, I think he was very realistic and I think his outlook on rates is actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not expecting a cut until, and you can formulate a market thesis on this, we, but you're not expecting a cut until at least a year from now. So January, 2024. And he never sees rates going back down to what they were, which I've been saying a lot. But, you know, so if they drop down to a 3% overnight rate, you can, you know, make some assumptions about what you think the housing market will be doing based on that forecast from Ben Tal. If he's the economist whose forecast you most resonate with, right? There's, you know, six big banks with great economists. There's some awesome economists at non-bank financial institutions. Francis Donald would be somebody who's exceptional at Manulife Global, which covers the Canadian market a lot. So, Lots of really, really great people contributing to this space. 
just do your homework. That's a great segue into other people that contribute to the space. <laughs> if you have social media and by any chance you have any realtor or mortgage agent on your social media, chances are that you've seen them post about the Bank of Canada's 25 BIP interest rate increase. Obviously, guys like Ben Tal and other big banking economists are a little more, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for here? informed maybe to make some of these decisions and to put out these press releases that we see every mortgage agent, real estate agent turn into economist overnight. But since this is kind of old news and obviously very overreported, we thought we'd just go over some of the quick highlights here. Yeah, I think it is funny. Like maybe parroting is probably the word that you're looking for. Like I think a lot of people are just regurgitating these sound bites that they get from people, economists and whatever, without even the word pause that came out in Tiff Macklem's most mm. recent statement, which we're going to go over. But like a lot of people focused on the pause and not on the two sentences that came after it. We'll discuss it. But a lot of realtors are obsessively tracking the Bank of Canada and their moves, likely because we saw a peak of almost 60% of new mortgages go variable in 2021. But the bond market, from my perspective, is typically a much more reliable forecaster of interest rates and where the economy are going to go. Bonds are issued by the Government of Canada or the GOC. So when you think bonds, think GOC. And when you think Bank of Canada, think BOC. The Bank of Canada controls the overnight rate, which determines the bank's prime rate, which is basically the best rate that a bank can lend their money out at. And that is what the variable interest rate is based on. So typically prime minus something, you know, in 2021, it was 60 minus 65 bips. And now it's more commonly minus 20 bips. The government of Canada five-year bond yield, which is dictated by the market and the market's willingness to pay for that bond is typically what fixed rate mortgages are based on. And this is because if you're a bank, you can put your money in a government of Canada bond yield and get 3.5% or 3%, or you can put it in a mortgage and apply a risk premium to that and say, okay, I'm willing to lend money out at 5% because a mortgage is 2% more risky than, you know, like you apply a bit of a risk premium there. Bonds of other durations also play an important predicting role in a recession. Also from Alex on Twitter, the same guy we referenced before, when yields for shorter durations are higher than yields of those for longer durations, it's called the yield curve inversion. And that basically corresponds to negative readings on the yield chart. The latest inversion happened in July 2022. It's not uncommon for regular tightening cycles to precede or cause recessions. So yield curve inversion is an important indicator of recession risk. In the US, every single one of the six yield curve inversions since 1976 was followed by a recession within two years. It inverted in 2022 for the seventh time. So something with a 100% success rate of predicting recessions (laughs) is currently predicting a recession. And I'm not saying this to be bearish, but to create value and context for our audience. This is, you know, times to exercise patience. These are times to remember statements like be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. And for real estate investors, our audience, opportunities happen during recessions. We see deleveraging and the bad investors are suffering. They're getting wiped out and that makes way for the good investors. Bental did say that he felt the bond market was pricing in interest rate cuts sooner than he anticipates. Currently, the bond market is pricing in cuts in six months, give or take. And Ben Tao, as you mentioned, isn't seeing them until January of 2024. Yeah, some great points, Dan. And for this reason, what the BOC, the Bank of Canada does, doesn't really matter as much to buyers anymore. And we'll explain why more later on in this episode. But here's a little summary. We already know we're going to have to hike until we get in a recession because at this point, we don't have a choice. 
fixed rate mortgages are cheaper than variable now. So most buyers will use fixed rates to maximize their buying power again. And some variable rate holders are even getting off the roller coaster, off that white knuckle roller coaster of a variable rate and into the stability of a now cheaper fixed mortgage rate. So this means that as we get more and more people jumping into those fixed rate products, the real estate market is no longer at the mercy of the Bank of Canada. It's at the mercy of the bond market. And that's even less predictable, honestly. Yeah. And fixed rate depend on bond yields, which we know are trending down and have been for the past three months, but are still way up from that heat of 2021. So we shouldn't expect a market as hot as 2021, but we shouldn't expect it to be as bad as it was for the last six months either. And this should hypothetically remove some of the volatility in the market and create more predictable changes in price because people are getting into a less volatile credit product. Getting less buyers on variable mortgages means, well, there's less variability in buying power, which means that the roller coaster of volatility in the real estate market is likely behind us. So your buying power is moving away from a variable product and into a fixed product. That's not to say that we won't see more price declines. I personally expect a gradual erosion of prices, as do most bank economists. And now even the Bank of Canada is admitting in their most recent monetary policy report that they're also anticipating prices to continue declining. And we're going to cover that today as well. Yeah. And remember that RBC stated that the projected price drop would surpass prior corrections. They put out a great chart available in the show notes, and that shows side by side what we covered exactly is happening during those corrections in our very first episode. Go back and check that out, and you may as well just keep listening to every other episode after that if you're new here. Thanks. So, yeah, just leave that. Leave it on, uh, what do we say? Leave it on 3X and just let it play all the way through. <laughs> so there's likely slow declines ahead, but the market could feel and look almost as if it's trading sideways over the fullness of time because they're not going to be substantial face ripping drops like we saw over the last six months of steeper declines. This will result in a gradual reduction of buying power, or sorry, it'll be the result of a gradual reduction in buying power as we adjust to the new interest rate environment. Remember, you know, most economists would say that interest rate impacts lag by six to 12 months. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of interest rates, let's get to that clickbaity question in every headline. Before we dive into the Bank of Canada's monetary policy, the topic that everyone wants to know right now, fixed versus variable. Yeah, it still blows my mind that this is always, I think every time the rates change, people want to know, okay, should I be going fixed or should I be going variable? I'll start by saying I currently have done two deals on two-year fixed rate mortgages, one renewal and one acquisition. So that tells me that my outlook is I'm not going to be able to get a better rate than today's five-year fixed anytime soon. And I don't want to be on the roller coaster of variable rate. But also, currently, if you go to most bank websites, their five-year variable is higher than their posted five-year fixed. And this is all public information, by the way. It's available on the bank's website as their posted rates. So this isn't anything mortgage brokery or advicey. I'm just reading this off of a website, not from behind <laughs> Nick's secret mortgage broker curtain. You can usually get rates lower than these posted rates if you go to the bank and negotiate. And So TD Bank website, posted five-year fixed, closed 5.54%. Posted five-year variable closed 6.45%. RBC Bank website posted two-year fixed 5.84%, which is a little bit higher than their posted five-year fixed of 5.69%. And their posted five-year variable, RBC Prime minus 25 BIPs, which is like 6.5%, way higher than the fixed. 
CIBC mortgage rate page on fixed rate closed mortgages, one year, 6.34%, two and three year at 6.24%, four year fixed at 6.04%, five year fixed at 6.49%, all of which are lower than the five year variable at 6.7%. And this is crazy. First time I've seen a double digit interest rate posted anywhere. Their open variable, which is the one that you can get out of with no penalty, is posted at 10% on their website. Wow. So Nick, let's jump in the hot tub time machine, go back to 2021 when prices were running up and variable rates were about 300 basis points below fixed. What was happening in that environment in the mortgage space? Yeah. Well, we saw a lot of people going into variable, right? They would maximize their buying power by doing this. And in order to do so, they did that to keep up with the rising real estate prices but it was like the Bank of Canada did a massive, you know, pulling the rug out of those people, the old bait and switch, the Kansas City shuffle, whatever you want to call it. A little pump and dump. Yeah, exactly. So with that being said, let's take a look at the BOC's announcement here. Yeah. And before we do that, I mean, I think we are seeing the same phenomena in the current market of people going to into fix because they're lower. So people want to maximize their buying power. Like we're still not in an affordable market. So People will always go to the better rate. I mean, not just because it's better, because some people might think, oh, rates are going to come down, I'll go variable. But they're going to go because they need to maximize their borrowing power to just to afford a house in the market right now. And I'm sure the banks are loving that because they actually make more money on fixed mortgages. Mm-hmm. But the advantage on buying power isn't much right now. And it's not nearly as much as it was a year ago or in 2021, especially. And so this is where you start to see those long-term impacts of the markets. But anyway, jump into Tiff Macklem's statement. January 25th is when they did their press release on the most recent interest rate hike. For sure. Thanks, Dan. And this is just some highlights that we've taken from Mortgage Logic, which is a great newsletter. If you want to sign up for that, I'd highly recommend it. So some essential quotes from the Bank of Canada's January 25th statement. Dan, start us off here. So we expect to pause rate hikes, but that is a conditional pause, Governor Tiff Macklem stated. It's far too early to talk about rate cuts. Governing Council expects to hold the policy rate at its current level while it assesses the impact of the cumulative interest rate increases. Year over year, measures of core inflation are still around 5%, but the three-month measure of core inflation has come down, suggesting that core inflation has peaked. Housing prices likely have further to go on the downside, but will bounce back later in the year thanks to supportive fundamentals, says Deputy Governor Wilkins. All this presents a high barrier for further interest rate hikes. We continue to believe that the bank is underestimating how quickly core prices will decline. That was from Capital Economics, that last line there, I think, which was basically like their analysis of the Bank of Canada underestimating. And you know what? I might agree with them there. I think to say that (laughs) prices are just going to drop and bottom in the middle of the year and they'll be recovered by the end of the year is like, I mean- We're in for a volatile year. Look, it just doesn't- It just doesn't work that way, right? I mean, look, there is a bottom somewhere. There's some strong fundamentals. Immigration, as Ben Tao was mentioning, long-term fundamentals are good. But until we're in an affordable market based on price to income and price to rent, either we need to go deflationary on the construction side to kind of get rid of that replacement cost factor, which, you know, Altus Group just came out with their construction cost update for 2023, which we're going to probably do an entire episode on or maybe a half episode on just like a segment analyzing what it costs to build stuff in different cities across the country. But I do think that there's, it's an oversimplification to say 
prices have further to go on the downside, but will bounce back later in the year, I think. Eight more things we need to know here, Nick, from the Bank of Canada's most recent statement. Yeah, the first one's pretty obvious here. Canada's benchmark prime rate should jump to about 6.7. You've probably already seen this baked into the market by the time you're listening. The last time we saw a rate like that was all the way back in March of 2001. And that was in the midst of the dot-com crash. That's too bad I'm wearing my Theranos hat and not my pets.com hat. (laughs) Payments on Canada's average adjustable rate mortgage will jump almost $14 a month in every $100,000 of mortgage balance. So 14 bucks for every 100,000 that you owe in principle. $48 a month on Canada's average mortgage balance of $343,612. It's actually a lot lower than I expected it Canadians is. to owe on their homes. Yeah. Well, if you, I mean, if you think about it, I think the average Canadian price for the home price is around like six fifty. dollars And I think at peak, like when they were quoting those super high wealth creation stats running up early in 2022, I think average loan to value is like 30 or 40%. So if prices would have come back down to 600 then yeah, I mean, your average loan to value would be 50%. I mean, that's a pretty safe economy, right? Like, I don't think that there's any major systemic risk. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, moving on, number three, the federal stress test will climb to 8.7% and 9.2% or higher for HELOCs. Wow. Youch. 7.5% on the lowest insured variable rates and 8.15% on the lowest uninsured variable rates. And not too long ago, these are the rates that only subprime borrowers would have to qualify at. Clearly, no mortgage applicant is going to be choosing a variable rate right now if his or her debt ratios are already tight. I got to run some math on that because like, I think <laughs> realistically, like what your qualifying income to buy a house at that stress test rate on like the average Canadian house price would have to be in over 200 grand, right? I think. Let me run some numbers and while you're chatting next. Anyway. The vast majority of variable rate borrowers have now hit their trigger rates. Among the record number of floating rate borrowers in 2021-2022, debt ratio data suggests that at least one in five have hit their trigger rates, have their backs against the wall, meaning they can't take much more of this. It's a good thing, actually, that fixed rates are coming down right now because a lot of those people in variables who have that open ability, you know, maybe even not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel if now we're, the bank's forecasting rates aren't going to be coming down and they're not going to be getting the next three years of their mortgage term at lower rates, as an example, they might be jumping into fixed just to get off that roller coaster like we mentioned, right? Yeah, yeah, good call. Here's a good one. Markets expect the BOC's next move to be a rate cut in October. Man, what is everyone going to post about if we don't hear from the Bank of Canada until October? I like how we're on our fourth or fifth now last rate cut. I think yeah. September was supposed to be the last one. Realtors, like, I, I, there's like, we need like compilation videos of, of people in the professions oh, calling it. Well, this is interesting because that's according to the implied future rates from the overnight index swap market. Obviously, take these projections with a large grain of salt, maybe even a handful of salt, as they are definitely moving targets and really depend on certain things like the job market and getting you know, CPI and especially core inflation to where it needs to be. So if current spreads don't change, the lowest nationally available variable interest rates will rise tomorrow to 6.15% for an uninsured and 5.5% for an insured. And deciding between an insured mortgage and an uninsured mortgage can be confusing. It all depends on your down payment amount. So basically, if you want to be in a high loan to value mortgage, 
So that's putting less than 20% down on a property, then you would be in typically the bank would, well, they, I think legally by the bank act have to insure mortgages Mm -hmm. with less than 20% down. Banks can insure any mortgage really. So there are people who will give you a discount on a rate. Like I think FirstNet insures all of their mortgages, I believe. I'll have to look up that stat. So you pay a CMHC insurance premium on, you know, for an insured mortgage. So it's built into the principal while the lack of insurance on an uninsured mortgage means that you don't have to pay additional premiums, but there's more risk on the bank. So they charge a higher rate, right? Risk premium. We mentioned it before. That was almost like a dictionary segment. Maybe I should have said that one. I'm a little little jealous you got to read that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the share of income going to mortgage interest payments is anticipated to continue rising as homeowners renew their mortgages at higher rates over the coming months. Yeah. So that's definitely going to take a little bit more consumption out of the economy, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. we're seeing more and more spending go to household debt service. Markets are pricing in a 10% chance, just 10% of another 25 basis point hike at the next Bank of Canada rate meeting on March 8th. Now, I would say take that one with a grain of salt as well, because those forecasts change almost instantly when the Federal Reserve, if the Federal Reserve hikes again, then the next day or like immediately our hiking schedule, basically the forecasting changes instantly because we kind of have to follow them. Although Ben Tal did just say in that thing that he expects the Federal Reserve to go a lot further than the Bank of Canada because Canadians are more indebted. So the impact, (laughs) the deflationary impact or the crushing of the economy impact of hiking is a lot stronger in Canada. But that does also create challenges for the Canadian dollar, US dollar spread. You know, if we're actually tapping out on hiking, that could be, I mean, Canadian dollars at 68 cents, I think today, but I mean, could, you know, continue a down leg there for Canadian versus US dollar. But I digress. (laughs) Yeah, let's keep chatting about the fixed versus variable and the kind of shift that we've seen in that market. So based on their term selection, mortgage shoppers increasingly think runaway rate hikes will reverse within 12 to 24 months. That is obviously a bit reinforced by the stuff that we've just heard Ben Tal and other economists say. So data from Stats Canada shows the percentage of borrowers choosing one and two year fixed rates has more than doubled this year. Well, Dan's one of them. So We've started to see that in me as a mortgage agent. We have started to see more short-term fixed stuff than we have in a long time. At the last count in August, almost one in five borrowers, that's almost 19, sorry, almost 20%, 19% chose a one or two-year fixed, and that's up 8% from a year ago. So really, these discounts that we're seeing on variable rates are the cause of what's happening here. So as the discount on variable dissipates, consumers tend to prefer fixed rate mortgages. And again, it's literally just because they're borrowing power, they can borrow more at the cheaper rate. So in 2019, discounts on variable rate mortgages were in the negative for almost a whole year, which the share of variable mortgages in the marketplace was like 10% during that period of time. So Clearly, fewer and fewer people are committing to the long-term unappetizing rates of 5.25%. So we're taking these shorter-term fixed-rate mortgages because that's 200 basis points above the 15-year average of that, like you know, three percent range, and the range that Ben Tao suggested that we'll likely get back to. Right, that three percent range is where he expects us to cut to eventually. So. You're seeing a lot of people going the fixed route to not be on that variable roller coaster, get the better pricing, but not wanting to stay locked in a rate in the 5% range. Yeah, for sure. And this shouldn't come as a surprise. It basically means the share of borrowers that are choosing those variable rate mortgages has also started to trend downwards in recent months after peaking at a whopping 
almost 57% at the start of the year. That is not normal, everybody. One and two year fixed rates let a borrower avoid all the rate increase risks during this, you know, 12 to 24 month period that we keep on hearing about. But let's fast forward to that 12 to 24 months. If a bond yield then drops materially, which they typically do as they start to price in the central bank's rate cuts, which we are expected to see in the next 12 to 24 months, people taking these short term fixed rates, they will be able to roll into much more cheaper rates, much more digestible rates when the time comes. Yeah. If we get back to that 3% overnight rate range mm-hmm. and bond yields continue getting down to like the 2% or you know 1% range, I don't like, it is hard to imagine a world in which bond yields are that low indefinitely. But I think, you know, as we get recessionary or disinflation, maybe even seeing some deflation that could cause a big drop in the economy, it could be a, a viable outcome, right? And Ben Tao's suggesting, you know, you might be able to see rates in the three to four range. And well, I guess we're seeing fixed now coming down into the fours anyway. So 2022 started, you know, just to back it up to kind of give perspective here of just how easily that shows what's happening in the market. 2022 started with a 106% discount on variable versus fixed. So during that period of time, that was when Crazy, variables were yeah. almost 60%. Yeah, they were almost 60% of the mortgages originations in the market. So anybody who was purchasing was buying with that cheaper rate. And this created a lot of risk that we're seeing materialize right now. And to be honest, was kind of a bad move on the Bank of Canada's part too. But as their rate increased, August discount dipped to 49%, while the market share of variable mortgages dropped to 44.2%. So we saw this swing from the five-year fixed, which was the most popular mortgage in you know, for 2018, 2019, and people moved into that variable because the price was so compelling and house prices were going up so fast that people were using that lower rate to qualify for higher house prices. It really was just people trying to increase their borrowing power. And I think that maybe the the central banks didn't weren't super in touch with like that that's really what it was used as a tool for. But knowing this, let's dive into the monetary policy report now that the Bank of Canada released, Nick. Yeah. So we'll start on page 20 here because it covers a whole bunch of stuff from the global economy to Canadian economy specifically. But let's talk about slow growth in household spending. So consumer spending is projected to remain subdued through much of 2023. Consumers are cutting spending and delaying purchases across a wide range of goods and services because of higher interest rates and elevated inflation. The rise in borrowing costs is expected to continue to strain many household budgets. Interest payments on household mortgages are estimated to be 4.5% of disposable income at the beginning of 2023, up from 3.2% at the beginning of 2022. Now, the share of income going to mortgage interest payments is anticipated to continue rising as more homeowners renew at higher rates. Now, I just want everyone to take that in. That's just the interest payments. Not the household income or individual affordability or anything like that. That's just, you're paying 4.5% of disposable income just on your mortgage interest payment. That's a little scary. I think the rates are also increasing the costs of big ticket items, cars. You know, I mean, like typically, and Johnny does this as well, try and flip these trucks to the States on an annual basis to, because there's like this little bit of an arbitrage where there's, excess demand for this certain type of vehicle in the United States and financing rates. Like, you know, I mean, auto manufacturers were giving away <laughs> financing for the past <laughs> couple of years, literally, right? You could buy with 0% or whatever it was. And now it's 
six, right? Seven percent for cars. You know, and you're talking about appliances, other durable goods, furniture. I mean, I'm not. Don't not even big, get me started on appliances. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, you know, I'm not a big financing of furniture, Xboxes, or appliances kind of guy myself. But yeah, you're a PlayStation guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I would just encourage people not to finance things like that. <laughs> Spending on these items has decreased and is expected to remain subdued throughout 2023. As the effects of higher interest rates continue to work their way through the economy, spending on services will also be affected. Experience suggests that the demand for communications, services, travels, hotels, meals and entertainment, etc. will be the most affected service components, consumption. This is that, that big portion of the Canadian economy that people stop spending on. They start cutting out those consumptions. Lower consumer confidence and household wealth due to falling house prices and increased debt services is going to restrain that household spending. And they show that in chart 16 on the monetary policy report. Yeah, it's a great chart and we'll get that in a second. But I did want to take a minute here and talk about consumer confidence because I think it's something really important that we've brought up a whole bunch and I just wanted to get some obviously a definition for, but then really go over how it's calculated as well, which I think is important for people to know. So consumer confidence is an economic indicator that measures the degree of optimism that consumers have regarding their overall state of the country's economy and their own personal financial situation. So you know, as human beings, we tend to find ourselves, especially recently, in either these positive or negative feedback loops, right? So going back to the early days of pandemic, it was all very negative, news headlines, social media, people being divided. And we've seen that same, you know, we've seen that sentiment dissipate and, and come back with essentially just a different mask on. And now it's negative sentiment about the economy. So before we look at the chart how is consumer confidence measured? Well, it's measured by the ICC, which is the Index of Consumer Confidence. And they calculated from a combination of responses to 11 survey questions. Those questions are the current state of the economy in the local area and in the country and its expected state in six months ahead, current personal financial situation and expected six months ahead, making a major purchase like a home or a new car now compared to six months, making other household purchases now compared to six months, confidence about own and relatives job security and the ability to invest in the future and save money for retirement now compared to six months, and losing a job as a result of an economic condition in the last six months and in the coming six months. Consumer confidence is measured on a scale of 0 to 100, where 0 indicates an extreme lack of confidence, 50 is neutral, and 100 is extreme confidence. Yeah. So, I mean, I would agree that sentiment plays a huge role. If we look at the chart, you know, you can follow it all the way back to 2017. And I think you could find this on like uh, Statista even further back for Canadian consumer confidence. But I mean, you can see this, you know, like most charts that graph anything happening during the pandemic, you can see it basically fall off of a cliff during that first lockdown and housing volume chart looks very similar. And then it ramps up thereafter. And then it slowly tapers off basically starting in 2021 until present day. And yeah, I mean, so I, I think, look, consumers aren't confident right now, or they're not nearly as confident as they were for any of the past months since basically beginning of 2021. That takes some steam out of the economy. It takes some steam out of investment. People don't want to go lever up and buy a bunch of pre-cons when that's <laughs> happening, right? And so they're not spending on renovations. They might be fearful that they can't afford payments on things. Nobody's stretching themselves financially, taking financial risks when they're not confident. Yeah, totally. And and again, you know, that's two things. That's people 
getting a little more fiscally responsible and maybe looking at their bank accounts or looking at their investment portfolios or their rental properties and, and noticing that it's time to tighten the so-called purse strings. But I think that's also exacerbated by the conversations at the water cooler at work, the conversations in your Uber, the conversations at the bar and restaurant or you know that you're having with family across the country, whatever it is, it seems to be the topic of conversation right now. So, Let's move on and look at another chart here, chart 17. The pullback in housing activity that began in 2022 is expected to continue over the near term. This can be seen in chart 17, which will be on Patreon. And also, you can just go look at the monetary policy yourself. House prices are projected to decline further, particularly in markets that saw significant increases during the pandemic. It shouldn't come as a shock. Growth in new construction and housing resales would likely pick up by the second half of 2023. That would be great. Supported by low inventories and strong demand from immigration. Dan, what are your thoughts on, on this chart? Because the lines are a little more all over the place than they were in the sentiment chart here. Yeah. So I like this chart. I really like looking at this one. This is actually, I, the, I think, the last housing monetary policy report had like 11 mentions of housing and charts. And this was the only one in the January monetary policy report. So the graph shows residential resales, which have basically fallen off of a cliff since the beginning of 2022. Sales to new listings ratio, which have also fallen off of a cliff and then kind of stabilized and they're actually moving up right now. December was actually surprisingly, we did a report on this for the Canadian Real Estate Association stats, surprising increase month over month into December, which very rarely happens. Mm -hmm. Renovations is the one that interests me the most. Yeah. And it's because, you know, it didn't shoot up unsustainably like, because the renovation market can only really grow so much. It's a function of how much can people build, right? It's not like selling a house where you shorten that timeline to 30 minutes. People are now <laughs> looking at houses and throwing offers in at, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you can yeah, make that sure. You can't redo a bathroom in 30 minutes. So you, I, you wish you could. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't. You know, I think we've probably maximized the marginal efficiency of labor in the renovation space. But if you look at those other lines, so like the red line ratio of sales to new listings and the blue line residential resales, they trade sideways, they drop off into COVID and then they shoot right up. Renovations trade more sideways, very stable market 2017 to 2020. They drop off less into 2020 and then they they grow and they were running hot during COVID. And we all know this. We all know that the construction market, we all know a contractor who had their best years during the pandemic because people were moving around a lot. They were staying in place. They wanted to make changes. They wanted decks. They wanted pools. They wanted all of these things. And so the construction market was running hot. Now it seems to have dropped slightly, not nearly as much as the other two metrics, basically to what that long-term average would be. And so it's kind of back to normal. And I would expect it to probably get a little bit lower than that, but I don't expect that it's going to suffer the same way that the other metrics that they're using for housing activity will. I don't think it'll see those massive swings because it didn't see that massive jump up. It ran a little bit hot and now it's running a little bit cool and it'll kind of like, you know, it's a much more tame line. It's behaving. You can see the green line is behaving <laughs> yeah. very well on this chart, right? And the other two lines are not, they're all over the place. Totally. You know, it's funny if you look at the beginning, which starts Q1 of 2017 and, you know, all the way up to Q4 of 2022. You're right, Dan. The green line, again, I know people are listening to this. So just picture a green line essentially starting and finishing at almost the same spots where the other lines in the chart, the sales to new listings and the residential resales are literally all over the map, all over the chart, I should say, not yeah. map. And so, so and and those are those ones measure your real estate market, let's call it. So exactly. people buying and selling houses. 
And those ones are all over the place. And it felt like that market was all over the place. The renovation market didn't feel like it was all over the place. It grew stably and it's coming down stably and it's going to feel a little bit recessionary, but like it's not going to feel the impact as much as the real estate profession is going to feel the impact. Yeah, no, totally. Which actually makes me quite excited to do the Altus report and get kind of deep into the construction, renovation, permits and, and projects across Canada. And you know what? I mean, it's interesting because in order for things to get disinflationary or for costs to come down in the construction space and labor or in materials, you need that line to come even lower. You need the construction Mm -hmm. market to get even lower than it already is. And we're not seeing the construction market get much lower than it has been historically. And until that happens, we're not going to see the cost of replacing real estate, rebuilding houses go up. And if we don't see the cost of rebuilding houses go down, then that always keeps your price floor, the replacement cost of your, your real estate product, it keeps that floor safe, right? That's a fundamental in the housing market. Yeah. People will always go buy resale for a price that's better than, than the replacement cost, right? Yeah. Good call there. Dan, any final takeaways from the the rate hike or the, the monetary policy here? Some final no, I thoughts? Think there was a, this was a good episode. I mean, it was it was a little macro, but we tried to keep driving it home to what it means for real estate investors. And, you know, I tried to touch there on, on the end of what that means. I mean, look, a lot of the people that are coming to our events, a lot of the people that interact with us, listen to the podcast, they're in the trades, right? So mm-hmm. we got a lot of construction guys that are crushing it in the renovation space and they're going to weather the storm a lot better. I've said forever and you know, talk about this on Twitter spaces and, you know, like there's guys I follow on Twitter, like Mike Holmes and, and Cindy Stumpo, who, you know, I've talked to a couple of times on Twitter spaces about encouraging people to get into the skilled trades. Cause that's really like just a huge, huge value driving opportunity. And we've seen realtors like exiting real estate and getting into the trades, right? Yeah, like, and, yeah. and that's like, that's a good move realistically. Yeah. Like it was sad when in 2020, when you're seeing doctors, people quit being doctors or lawyers, like, you know, like real, no, no offense <laughs> to being realtors. I am one. So I think I can say this, but like, you know, people who have my perspective, a much more substantial contribution to society, a doctor, I think it's arguable that that's like, it's okay to say that, right? Yeah. I'd allow it. Yeah. You're seeing people quit being doctors to go become realtors. Now you're seeing people quit being realtors and going to become trades. Like to me, that's like, okay, we're, we're making a step in the right direction here. We're moving we're allocating the resource of labor in the right places. And this is like nature is healing kind of thing, right? Yeah. Love that. Great points. I think we're probably due for, you know, some kind of construction skilled trades update episode. So stay tuned for that. Thanks so much for listening. If you're new here, leave us a rating and a review and go back and listen to a whole bunch of the old episodes. A lot of them are evergreen content. So Unlike, you know, some of the news ones, which are hot off the press type things, a lot of the episodes contain strategies and ways of thinking and things that are good yesterday, today, tomorrow, two months from now. So go check them out. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.